Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net, where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. First of all, we should say that Marxist economics is more relevant today for obvious reasons. That uh, uh, events on a daily basis are confirming the the truth of Marxist economics. So not simply in the pages of uh, Marxist capital, but in the very real global crisis of capitalism. Of course, the uh, uh, attacks on Marxism and Marx economics uh, have not stopped. They are continuing uh, at full length. This is particularly uh, in the universities, but not uh, only them. I see that Donald Trump himself attacked Marxism on his 4th of July speech. But in the past, they, they attacked Marxism by arguing that capitalism had resolved its problems. That contrary to what Marxism says they had solved this uh, crisis problem of of the system. And as a consequence, uh, Marxist economics was false, as were the ideas of Marx. These arguments were particularly uh, prevalent in the 1950s and 60s during the post-war economic upswing, uh, where it seemed that the, the views that they put forward were supported by the facts. After all, wasn't there full employment, um, didn't they provide reforms and weren't there, you know, rising living standards? And therefore, in contrast to the 1930s, they had uh, found means, they found ways of, of resolving these problems of the capitalist system. And in this period, it was the, the great god Keynes uh, that they worshipped at. Yes, he was the fountain of all knowledge. But uh, how things are, have changed now? And we can see that the post-war economic upswing, it wasn't simply a boom, it was an upswing, which lasted a period of 25 years, was not the norm, but was an aberration. It was a temporary phenomenon. Of course, 25 years seems a long time, but in the, in the scales of history, it is simply the blink of an eye. Now, the truth of, uh, of any theory, the acid test of any theory, must be measured by how accurately that theory describes the real processes in the economy, including its contradictions, and how far that theory can foresee the future developments. And on on that measure alone, you could say that Marxist economics has been shown to be correct. After all, it explained that crisis was inherent within the capitalist system and that all the ills of capitalism would once again re-emerge. And this has been borne out by reality, whereas on the, on the contrary, bourgeois economy and bourgeois eco- economics has demonstrated its complete bankruptcy. There are two broad schools of bourgeois economics, uh, one of which is monetarism, uh, which is orthodox economics, and the other is Keynesianism but neither of which have been able to explain or foresee anything for that matter. I mean, you don't have to take my word for that. According to Paul Krugman, who is the winner of the Nobel Prize for Economics, he said that much 
of the past 30 years, macroeconomics, that is bourgeois economics, was, and I quote, spectacularly useless at best and positively harmful at worst. Uh, Barry uh, Eisengreen, a prominent American um, uh, economic historian, has said that, I quote, the crisis has cast into doubt much of what we thought we knew about economics. In other words, they had no idea of what is happening. It's quite funny that in uh, 2008, the Queen of England visited the London School of Economics and asked the embarrassing question, why did they not foresee the 2008 crisis coming? And basically they replied, well, uh, things are very complicated, you see. Ten minutes, Rob. It's quite ironic. Compared to the past, these people were very, very confident, overconfident. In fact, uh, one of them, Robert Lucas, who was the president, who was the professor of economics at the University of Chicago, and an- another Nobel Prize winner for economics, stated uh, not so long ago, and I quote: "The central problem of depression prevention has been solved." In other words, there will be no more depressions. Again, he, like the other uh, gang of economists, were mesmerized by the uh, capitalist system and their efficient market hypotheses, as they called it. In other words, that the market, left alone, had eradicated crises on their own account. But when that theory uh, collapsed uh, unceremoniously in the crisis of 2008, Alan Greenspan, the former head of the Federal Reserve of America, who was nicknamed the, the maestro for his, uh, his work, said, well, uh, of course, this is only a once-in-a-century event. It will never happen again. And yet, uh, what, 10 years later, we're in a far deeper crisis than even in 2008. That bourgeois uh, economic theory is so bad that even the giant uh, corporations don't rely on economists anymore. They rely on astrologers for looking at the future. Yes, a number of the major uh, corporations and, and banks employ stro- astrologers to see how the market is going to work out. Apparently, they have a better track record than bourgeois economists. But uh, no surprise there, I suppose. Yet uh, these economists, these bourgeois economists, has, have the uh, audacity to uh, ridicule Marxism. They, they, they laughed at Marxist uh, predictions about crises and the theory of increasing misery and so on. But as we say in, uh, in England, he who laughs last, laughs best. The, uh, the so-called golden age of capitalism in the 1950s and 60s saw a colossal upswing of the productive forces. But this was uh, due to special factors that arose from the Second World War. And it's these, uh, these factors, this continuation of factors that will not be repeated again. But the key factor, if you want to call it that, for the upswing was the growth of world trade. That the tariff barriers were, which were erected in the 1930s were torn down. And uh, as a result, world trade and world production increased dramatically like a spiraling of growth. And this allowed capitalism to partially and for a temporary period, overcome its fundamental contradictions. Above all, the conflict of the development of the productive forces 
hemmed in by the nation state and private ownership. And this, uh, this again, appeared to uh, invalidate Marxism. After all, if, if capitalism can deliver the goods, then uh, what's the point in changing the system? What's the point in Marxism? Of course, this uh, uh, fireworks of economic development uh, only affected the advanced industrial countries. The, the, the former colonial countries, the so-called third world, who were in the grip of imperialist domination, were left behind. In fact, they were more exploited uh, than ever before with adverse terms of trade. But this uh, so-called golden age of capitalism finally came, came to an end in 1974 in the slump of that year. And, and this, uh, this slump of 1974 was a turning point, really, in the development of capitalism in the post-war period. Capitalism now began to revert to normal. Mass unemployment returned everywhere. And this was followed by massive attacks on the working class, particularly a drive to um, restore the rate of profit, which had been falling in the 1960s. Keynesianism was abandoned because of the enormous inflation on a world scale. 20 minutes, Rob. And uh, instead, they turned to monetarism, orthodox uh, economic uh, policies. But this didn't solve the problem. In fact, it made matters, matters worse. The capitalist system, as compared to the past, was now in, a, in an impasse. Compared to the 1950s and 60s, uh, growth was lower, production was lower, employment was lower, profitabilities were lower, all the industries were, were lower than before. But the capitalists were now uh, euphoric in 1991 with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the shift to capitalism in China. This gave them a, a new lease of life. It provided uh, new markets and new fields of investment. Globalization became the buzzword, and they took full advantage of the situation. And, and this, together with other things like credit in particular, allowed capitalism to maintain itself up until the crisis of 2008. Then came the, the shock, the terrible shock of a de- the deepest crisis since the 1930s. And this shock... Uh, threw bourgeois economics into, into a crisis. All their computer models, all their mathematical equations, none of them were of any use. They could not foresee anything, and they could not explain anything. Just a little quote from the, the Economist magazine, which is a right-wing free market magazine from 2009. I quote, Of all the economic bubbles that have been pricked, Few have burst more spectacularly than the reputation of economics itself. You can say the bourgeois economics is bankrupt because it has no interest in discovering the real laws of capitalism. Its role is simply to justify capitalism. They are apologists for the capitalist system, nothing more. They believe uh, superficially, of course, that, that capitalism is driven by confidence. And they think that uh, they can maintain confidence or restore confidence simply by pulling a few economic levers. This shows a a real superficial bankrupt approach to uh, economics and is in contrast even with the ideas of the classical economists, such as Adam Smith and and David Ricardo, who at least tried seriously to understand the workings of capitalism. And their observations, uh, they, they they discovered quite a lot. And Marx... Praise them for those uh, observations. But above all, what they had in common, these classical economists, 
is that they base their ideas on the, the labor theory of value. This is, this is quite a, a simple uh, theory in reality, which says that the, the common feature of all commodities is that they are produced by human labor. And that the value of a commodity is determined by the amount of socially necessary labor that's gone into its production. And that, that, that the price of a, of, of a commodity in the last analysis is a reflection of the underlying value of a commodity. But this uh, idea that uh, labor produces value is a very uh, subversive one for capitalism. And therefore, for political reasons, no other, for political reasons, they discarded it. And in its place, they came forward with the mumbo-jumbo of uh, marginal utility theory uh, and other so-called subjective explanations about uh, individual preferences and market relations and so on. And it was left to Karl Marx, uh, who based himself, he based himself on the classical uh, economists who developed these ideas, developed their ideas and developed the labor theory of value. Uh, out of this he was able to discover the real secret of, uh, of capitalism and the creation of surplus value. In other words, uh, where profit came from. And he explained that profit comes from the unpaid labor of the working class. And it is the basis of exploitation. Of course, uh, bourgeois economics deny exploitation takes place. They say that the labor is simply a factor of production, along with uh, land, capital, you've mentioned enterprise. 30 minutes. And uh, because labor receives wages, then it gets its just rewards, just like capital gets profits for its just rewards. This is false. Labor is not simply a factor of production. Labor, on the contrary, is the only source of value, of increased and new value. You can have a factory, but if there's no workers in the factory, it's not going to produce anything. And you can wait for as long as you want. It will simply decay and and rot away and and rust away. But as soon as you have the application of living labor, then you have the creation of value and new values. But what what Marx discovered was that... uh, uh, the worker was not paid for his labor. What the worker was paid for was, was his energies, was his abilities to work. That's all. Marx called this uh, labor power. Uh, but once the capitalist uh, paid for uh, the worker's abilities, then he could do as he wanted with these abilities. But therefore, he, he put them to work. Of course, the working day then is, is divided. For part of the working day, the, wor- the worker creates uh, additional value that covers their wages. But that's only a part. The rest of the working day, they produce surplus value for the employers, for the bosses. Of course, un- under capitalism, uh, exploitation is, is hidden, it's disguised. But if you compare capitalist exploitation to other forms of class society, it becomes more clear. After all, capitalism is simply a stage in the development of human history. But if, if you take feudalism, for example, ex- exploitation is, is very clear. The serf works 
the works on the Lord's land for some, some days for free, free labour. So that's quite clear. Under slavery, it's also, uh, I suppose, self-evident, because the slave is owned by the slave owner. But even even the, the slave, however, uh, doesn't produce completely surplus value because they have to live and they have to have food themselves. So they have to cover their own uh, uh, livelihoods. But under capitalism, it, it's a bit more disguised because you have the, the, the surplus uh, labor, like, like the uh, serfs working on the Lord's land for free, and unnecessary labor are actually combined in the same day. It's all part of the working day. So when the worker works sufficient time to produce the valleys to cover their wages, uh, a bell doesn't sound in the factory saying, okay, you've done it now, you've covered your wages. The working day is continuous. But we do know that after he's, uh, after he's furnished enough for his wages, he continues to work. And with that, he produces surplus value. The problem that the capitalist uh, uh, economy faces is that um, they're producing for a market uh, without any regard for anything. They're not aware of any limits to the market. They just uh, produce in the hope that they can sell their produce. And this is a, a reflection of the anarchy of capitalism, the anarchy of production. It, it is, no one plans it. It just happens. But within this anarchy, there are laws, there are underlying laws, which Marx attempted to discover. Otherwise, the whole system would uh, collapse at a certain point if there was no underlying logic to it. But Marx himself, in analysing capitalism, didn't simply look at the surface of reality, the surface of it, where the bourgeois uh, economists concentrate their efforts and, and attention. He attempted to get to the essence of the matter, not, not appearances, but the essence. And therefore, he tried to look below the surface, to look at the underlying process. Uh, for instance, you know, um, for instance, you could say that it appear, the appearance, it appears, that, that the sun, nav, you know, uh, navigates the earth. But we know it's the opposite way, way around, that the earth navigates the sun. But it's an appearance. Also, the reason why the sun rises in the east and settles in the west is because the earth rotates towards the east. So if we just viewed things from the point of the surface of a superficial understand, understanding, you wouldn't understand what's going on. It's been 40 minutes or 15 minutes to go. Of course, under capitalism, there's a, there's a huge division of labor. Production is geared to uh, not to, to fulfill an individual want, but uh, to fulfill others' want, other wants, other people's wants. So exchange becomes central to this question. So with, with the world division of labor, we have the world market, uh, which is flooded with billions and trillions of commodities. The question arises, how much should be produced of each commodity? What decides? <laughs> Given the, the anarchy of, of, of the market, uh, no one decides. There's no conscious decision. There's no plan. And the, and the bourgeois say, well, it's the market that decides everything. But Marx explains that, uh, no, it's, it's the law of value that really underpins everything. Uh, the capitalists uh, don't know. Uh, they simply uh, produce to sell. They're blind to the processes. Therefore, sometimes they produce too much. And as a result, the price of their commodities will fall below their value. And if there's a glut, uh, they won't make any profits. They won't sell their goods. But sometimes they produce too little. 
and therefore prices rise above the, the, the value of a commodity and they make super profits as a result. Clearly, market prices are affected by the law of supply and demand. And Marx never denied uh, this. But prices fluctuate uh, due to the supply of demand around a certain axis. And this axis is determined by the cost of production. However much a pint of uh, the price of a pint of beer varies, it will consistently uh, cost less than, say, a washing machine or a motor car, because the costs of production are far less to produce beer than it is a motor car or a washing machine. Hey, Rob, be careful to make noise with your sheets. Apparently, it's a bit disturbing. Be careful with that. But what constitutes the cost of production? It's made up of commodities or things that are products produced by labor time. Therefore, we come back again to the law of value, which underpins this question. This uh, access, as I've talked about, uh, in which there's a fluctuation in prices according to uh, uh, supply and demand, something like the sea level. And the sea level can rise and fall according to the pull of the tides. But still, uh, the sea level exists and it is central. Another factor is that um, Marx made a great distinction between what he called constant capital and variable capital. So what does this uh, constant capital mean? Well, these, these are uh, money em- employed in, in, into machinery, buildings, raw materials, all of which transfer their value into a new product. They don't all do this at once. Uh, you have depreciation, <coughs> wear and tear, but also the use of materials. They're all in the process of production. All are transferred into the new Uh, uh, products. This constant capital doesn't produce new values. It simply transfers the the, the values from the the raw materials into the new products. Whereas Marx explained that there is variable capital, which is that that which is invested in wages and and, and the workers. And it is the the capital employed in, in variable capital, which produces new value, surplus value. So constant, value, constant uh, uh, capital simply transfers its uh, value. Variable capital adds to and increases value. And, and Marx explained that the, the rate of exploitation is really the ratio between the surplus created by the, in, in production and the cost of wages. The more surplus uh, value that can be squeezed out for less Wages and the greater the exploitation, and this has been uh, this attempt to, to squeeze more uh, surplus value out of the working class has been a feature, particularly for the last forty or fifty years, where it's been intensified. In fact, that's the whole purpose of capitalist production: is the creation of the maximum surplus value, the maximum profit. Fifteen minutes. So yeah, you have a whole thing, a whole number of things introduced: just-in-time production, for instance. Flexibility of labor, zero-hour contracts. All this is used to intensify uh, the, uh, the exploitation of the working class. So the greater the productivity, the greater the profitability for capitalism. The problem for capitalism is that uh, it has to realize these profits. They have to sell the commodities. And uh, the problem they have is that markets are limited. 
And therefore, there's been a rise of what they call excess capacity over the past number of years. The, the productive potential has outgrown the ability of the market to consume the goods. Clearly, 2008 came as a, a terrific shock for the capitalists and their um, economists. They realized that something's fundamentally wrong. All the old theories they had, the efficient market hypotheses and so on, has to be thrown out the window. They, they, they not only face a crisis, they're facing a depression. Because you have the, the, the monetarists, uh, the orthodox uh, wing, see this solution as to increase profitability. And therefore, they, they see they need to reduce costs, particularly uh, wage costs, cut wages. Of course, this cuts demand. While the, the Keynesians, uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, say that they need to improve demand, which is deficient, by um, deficit financing uh, and public expenditure. But the reality is that, is, the reality is that the, the monetarists and the Keynesians are both right and wrong at the same time, because they are pointing to different sides of the same problem which is the basic contradiction of capitalism. Yes, it's true that the capitalist crisis certainly does mean a collapse in profitability. There's no doubt about that. But to, but to get the, the wheels moving once again, they have to restore profitability. But as I said, to do that, they have to cut wages, which cuts the market. That's why you have this, uh, this uh, paradox that uh, uh, some capitalists want uh, their competitors to increase wages so that it expands the market, but they don't want their own way workers to get wage rises. But also, uh, as the Keynesians say, that the uh, crisis also leads to a, 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 a collapse in demand, which is true. So they're, they're in favour, perhaps, of, of increasing uh, consumer wages. Uh, they certainly want the, the state to step in and uh, prop up demand through public spending. But, of course, uh, government, uh, government money comes from taxes. And, it, and if you, you tax the capitalists, then it will uh, cut investment. But if you tax the workers, it will cut into consumption. Some say, oh, well, why can't you have borrowing? We can borrow the money. But borrowing is simply spending tomorrow's tax revenues, nothing more. And borrowing has to be paid back with interest. And if they, uh, they say, oh, well, well, workers should get wages, wage rises, which we are in favour of, by the way, on a capitalist basis, increased wages will cut into uh, capitalist profits and therefore cause problems on that front. Anyway, capitalists are not interested in, in markets. They're interested in profitable markets. Therefore, the idea, you know, the, the solution of Keynesianism and, and, and monetarism is, is no solution at all. Of course, in the 1950s and 60s, the, the, the heyday of Keynesianism was uh, seen as, as the real way out. In fact, Keynesian ideas actually influence uh, uh, so-called Marxist thinkers at the time. In different ways, uh, uh, Paul, Paul Sweezy, Ernest Mandel, Tony Cliff were all influenced by, by Keynesian ideas. 60 minutes, 30 to go. Tony Cliff, for instance, put forward the idea of, of the permanent arms economy, which is a variant of, of Keynesianism, if the truth is to be told. And he said that capitalism could escape crisis through military spending as this would uh, prevent overproduction and it would uh, mop up the surplus that was produced into arms production. 
because arms production is uh, produces junk uh, or produces is destroyed, and therefore they said there could be no no um, overproduction as a result. Of course, that that uh, theory was shown to be false. That arms expenditure is not an advantage for capitalism, but is a burden on the economy. It is no accident that the two major economies that had either no or hardly any military spending, which was Germany and, and Japan, developed the most and were the most successful. So Marx explained that capital was not simply uh, buildings and uh, factories and so on and machinery. It wasn't simply a thing, but was a social relationship. In other words, capital and capitalism is based on, on classes and, and relationships to the means of production. In fact, the class struggle itself, or the basis of the class struggle, is the, uh, is the fight over this uh, surplus. The more wages that the workers get, the less goes in profits. And vice versa, the more profits that can be made, less goes to the working class. And you've seen it over the past period, the, uh, the, the colossal amount of wealth that is being created is now be, being pocketed by the super rich of, of capitalism. 26 uh, billionaires have more wealth than half of humanity put together. At the same time, the share received by the working class over the last 20, 30 years has gone down compared to the capitalists. But, but capitalist production is obviously based on contradictions. That's the problem. On, on the one hand, the capitalist has to squeeze as much as they possibly can out of the unpaid labour of the working class. They're in, they're in a constant battle to, to, to re, reduce costs. At the same time, they need to uh, sell these uh, commodities they produce on the, on the open market in order to realise their profits. And there is a contradiction between the uh, production of surplus value in the factories and the realisation of uh, surplus value in the market. In other words, the sale of a commodity. And it is this, the basis of this contradiction that lies this uh, problem of overproduction in capitalist society. Under the laws of, of competition, uh, every capitalist is in struggle, in a fight with all the other capitalists. And the only way they comp can compete is to uh, increase the productivity of labour. Marx explained that the, the laws of capitalism is to drive accumulation. The capitalists are, for, are forced to introduce new top technology, new machinery in order to compete. And if they don't do that, they can be uh, undermined. They can be destroyed by their competitors. So that, so, so that the historical function of the ruling class, of, ca of the capitalist class, is precisely to invest and accumulate. As Marx said, it's accumulation for accumulation's sake. Of course, this, this, this vast increase in Increase in, in productive capacity means an ability to produce more and more and more commodities. Therefore, at a, at a certain point, uh, overproduction is, is reached. And you have a crisis, a slump. And the only way capitalism can uh, overcome this uh, slump is to, is to destroy this overproduction and, and destroy the means of production. 70 minutes, 20 to go. As a result, uh, factories are closed Workers are thrown out of work and production becomes idle. But out of this collapse, there becomes a further concentration of capital into fewer and fewer hands. Uh, Marx ex explained uh, this, I could give a quote. 
there comes a moment at which the market manifests itself as too narrow for production. This occurs at the end of a cycle, but it merely means the market is glutted, overproduction, but it, it merely means the market is glutted, overproduction is manifest. Now, this is, is not a theory of uh, underconsumption, as some argue. If only demand was to pick up, that, that will solve the problem. Of course, theories of, of underconsumption do exist, uh, and they're all linked to Keynesianism. And basically, they say that by simply re, uh, raising wages, the crisis will be resolved. But as explained, if you do that, you just cut into profitability. In fact, if you, give, if you paid the working class the full value of its labor, it would mean that profits would, be, uh, would come to an end, would finish. And of course, capitalist production would then come to a full stop. And this, this, this kind of reveals the, the, the inner contradictions of capitalism. But the reason why the system uh, not only survives but uh, moves forward is because it, it, the capitalist class takes the surplus produced by the working class and re reinvests it back into production. This in, turn, then in its turn creates a new market and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the cycle of capitalism uh, develops. Of course, there are uh, many contradictions uh, in the capitalist system. Uh, one of those is the question of, of, of a fall-in rate of profit, which is a tendency under capitalism. As we explained uh, earlier, that um, the rate of surplus value, of exploitation, is the ratio between surplus and the cost of, of wages. But there's a, another uh, a problem, as I've just mentioned, the question of a rate of profit, which is different from that. The rate of profit is the revenue uh, from sales, that is the income, minus the cost of producing. In other words, the rate of profit is the, is the measure of how much profit grows in a, in a, in a company. And of course, there are different rates of profit uh, affecting different industries. And there's a tendency to, to, uh, to uh, equalize the rate of profit, where capital employed in a lower rate of profit industry is, 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 tends to be transferred into the higher rate of profit industries. But uh, this accumulation of capital that we've mentioned more and more increases the constant capital element as opposed to variable capital. More and more is invested in uh, factories, in machinery, uh, and, and so on, of that nature, in, in constant capital, than is employed in variable capital, employing workers. In fact, it's a constant attempt by capitalism to uh, displace workers by machines. But the problem is that uh, surplus value comes from precisely the workers, not the machines. So this increase in accumulation, this increase in constant capital results in a tendency for the rate of profit to decline. But as Marx explains, this is a tendency and there are countervailing factors involved here, which allows them to get around this, uh, this uh, contradiction. They can lower the, uh, the cost of constant capital, for instance. They can engage in, in, in foreign trade. 80 minutes. You have 10 minutes left. But the main factor there and the main way of getting around it is to intensify the exploitation of the workers in the factories that, that, that remain. And that's what we've seen over the last 40 years. 
So in the 60s, you had a declining rate of profit. And then in the 1980s and the 1990s and so on, where you had an intensification of an attack on the working class, the rate of profit started to, to rise. Some people have said that the, this tendency for the rate of profit to fall is the explanation of capitalist crisis. But this is not, uh, not correct. This is not correct. It can certainly uh, contribute and it can aggravate crisis. That's, that's for sure. But the real cause of capitalist crisis, which Marx explained many times, was a crisis of overproduction, where the colossal development of, ca of capacity re reaches the limits of the capitalist market. Of course, uh, there are, again, other ways of, of getting around it, uh, by increasing credit, for instance. Because credit allows capitalism to expand the market artificially for the time being, uh, which allows it to go beyond its limits for a period. Of course, uh, we see today uh, the credit uh, mountain that we have accumulated has turned into a, a mountain of debt, which is weighing down on the capitalist system. And, they, and this will also prevent any real recovery of capitalism. So you see that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system based on contradictions. And we see even the, the, uh, the difficulties that the capitalist system has, has, has um, got into at the present time. Because accumulation, which is the driving force of capitalism, that is investment, has grown to a halt everywhere. In Europe in the recent period, uh, it, fell by, it fell by 20%. In Germany, capital, the production of capital goods fell by 17% in March compared to February, which was double the fall in consumer goods. Bankruptcies and, and closures are taking place everywhere. And millions of workers have been thrown out of work. But as was said uh, yesterday, this is not a, a, a cyclical crisis of capitalism, but uh, the system has exhausted itself. This is where historical materialism comes in. The capitalist system itself has, has reached its limits. And therefore, the system's already declined. It's in its death agony. We're heading now for a, for a deep uh, world depression. And there's no easy escape from this. In the 1930s, they couldn't escape from it except by world war, which is ruled out. So this crisis is going to last for years and years and years. Of course, there's going to be ups and downs in, in, the, in, the, in the situation. But the but the general trajectory will be downwards. Of course, there's no final crisis of capitalism in the sense that the capitalist system just disintegrates. That's the end of it. You know, it can keep on going indefinitely for that, in that sense, at the expense of the working class, of course. It can go on until it's overthrown. But it, it can only continue at the expense of the working class. That's the point. So all the gains of the past are going to be eliminated as far as capitalism is concerned. It cannot... Afford reforms, only counter-reforms. And therefore, the, the working class is going to fight. And there's going to be class struggle everywhere. And this will lay the basis for revolutionary events everywhere. The only way that we can rid ourselves of capitalist crisis is the overthrow of capitalism. There can be no way out for the working class on a capitalist basis. And that's the real message of Marxism, which has been confirmed by events. Thank you, comrades. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.marxisvoice.com.
socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.